Welcome to Think Business Futures. This is our very first episode and we're quite excited to go beyond the buzzwords today and look at the complexities of a current business story. I'm Nicole Sutton from UTS Business School. I think that's Dr. Nicole Sutton, actually. Mm -hmm. And I'm David Brown. I'm Associate Dean of External Engagement. This is a show that's going to take research, cutting-edge ideas, and address problems that we see in society today. And what we want to do is take real experts and apply their knowledge to the sorts of problems that we're facing as a community. Yeah, and so on this episode, we're talking in circles, specifically the circular economy. changed in the global economy since the Industrial Revolution. Supply chains are quite different, there's been a lot of technology change, but one thing that seems to be largely unchanged over time is this linear model that's associated with resource consumption. Would you agree with that? Uh, what do you mean by a linear model? It's where we take raw materials or inputs and we run these through a manufacturing or some other sort of process, sell it to a consumer who then ultimately just discards it. So today we're kind of interested in looking at how we could do this differently in terms of how we produce and how we consume goods. Well, I guess the issue is how about we go beyond recycling and some basic kind of ideas that sit in the community and start to think about products and product cycles in quite a different sort of way. Okay, so maybe to help us understand this issue, we can bring in Dr. Melissa Edwards from UTS Business School as well. Mel, welcome. Can you help us out here? What do we mean by the term circular economy? Well, I think you guys gave a great introduction there. We're stuck in a system, a production system and a consumption system that's based on this linearity. If we think about the flows of materials as they're coming into production and then to the consumer and ultimately into landfill. When we're talking about a circular system, we're thinking, how can we redesign that? How can mm. we close that loop? So mm -hmm, if you think mm -hmm. of from a line to a circle, so that we're optimising the flow of materials and keeping them circulating within a system of production and consumption for the maximum amount of time as we can for each of those material flows within the economic system. So presumably there's waste involved in this. So are we thinking about waste in a different way to a traditional sort of business model or a linear sort of economy model? Yeah, so there's a, a, a real emphasis on redesigning the way we conceptualise what waste is. And in fact, one of the mm. principles of a circular economy model is to say, can we design waste out of the production and consumption systems? So can we make waste a, a resource or can we consider the value of materials in this consistent flow within the system rather than thinking of the externalising notion of waste? Mm. So you're trying to prevent, in a sense, like leakage from the system or making waste obsolete as an idea. Largely. Yeah, yeah. If we can eliminate waste, that's the ultimate. It's okay. like a natural system, really, in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, so, you know, the, the circular economy picks up on a long tradition of um, systems thinking and borrowed from biological systems. Uh, so it's a fantastic concept in terms of drawing on mm. those different disciplines and for us in, in business learning from you know what what um, biologists and scientists have been talking about for some time trying to take those concepts and implement them within the way that we design our technical production systems so it's so, like it's so... like the economy is a rainforest Hmm. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Okay, so building on that then, 
how do you take an understanding of a biological system and a rainforest and how does this play out in terms of a business model? Yeah, okay. So let's start at the bigger picture, I guess, and think about what a rainforest does. Um, And it's, you know, symbiotic. So when we're in business, we often break the economy down into its um, individual components and we treat the inputs and the outputs separately within each of those different units. We don't often think about the interdependencies between different elements of the economy. Yep, yep. I mean, like... As a rainforest would. Absolutely. Like Like in accounting, we have this idea of the entity concept. You know, we're always kind of concentrating and drawing strict boundaries upon different organisations, you know, yeah. organisation A and organisation B. We want to keep everything, like, separate in these separate units. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so it's about breaking down those boundaries and kind of seeing the connections between organisations. Seeing the connections between them, but t- particularly around the flow of materials as they're coming in and out of those what we might consider to be separate units mm-hmm. to try to optimise the flow of the material between those units and maintain those flows over a longer period of time. So, you know, one of the other catchphrases you'll hear people saying a lot in relation to the circular economy is waste is food. So anything that is, you know, wasted from Mm -hmm. one business, Mm -hmm. it may be the sludge from a manufacturing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. firm can be inputted into another organisation or another business as an input or as a a food, as a resource uh, to create value in the whole system of production mm. rather than looking at individual business entities as, as so, trees on their own. <laughs> if we're yeah, going back yeah. to the rainforest yeah, trees metaphor. or like fungus or mushrooms <laughs> or something, yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting because that's another accounting concept and that when we think about it is typically we think about raw material and going through some sort of work and process ending up as finished goods and then, of course, we talk about waste and things being sold. But what you're suggesting is that the extra bits from the system, you know, waste from the system, and something that has been sold actually becomes raw material in the next cycle or in another organisational setting. Yeah. So these are called cascading flows or you know, going waste from one, becoming input for another. In previous um, industry sectors, that may have not been related to one another. So you'll hear people say, oh, in order for us to have a circular economy, we need greater collaboration. Uh, and it can be for reasons such as, as that. Okay, can we kind of put this into more kind of concrete terms in terms of an, an example? Now, we know that you've looked at this in various industries and some of your recent work has been looking at the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. So how does the circular economy kind of play out there? What does it look like? Okay, so for a start, I'd have to say that I'm not a fashion expert. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, neither am I. So. <laughs> but, you know, the fashion industry to, to me is just a, a fascinating example of mm-hmm. where the circular economy really resonates. You know, we all wear clothing, so... Most of the time. Yep, this is good. <laughs> Hopefully. And um, over time, uh, we've increased the consumption of our, that, that material. In general, it's textile industry. Um, what's also really fascinated me about the fashion industry and the reason why we've been focusing in on it is because when you look at um, waste flows, and that's where a lot of the thinking starts, um, textiles as a waste flow is one where we have the less capture of value return mm. from. Mm. So where other waste flows may have been turned into value streams yeah, yeah. more readily, textiles is um, problematic and a majority of it goes into uh, landfill. Because of the model that you said at the beginning, most of fashion is consumed by individuals and at the end of life, mm. um, consumers dispose of that waste. Sometimes they feel like they're doing the right thing, um, donating it, giving it to a charity. Often charities are unable to use the material as well. Some 
forms of materials, and again, I'm not a material scientist, that we're mm. using in um, clothing these days are not able to be um, remanufactured or recycled. So there are you know, a number of different technical reasons as well as the, you know, the, kind of the broken model in terms of consumers being the end users of the clothing. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of how it could be different? In terms of circularity? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So the reason why it's an interesting model in terms of circularity is because, you know, as you said at the beginning, the way that we traditionally think about waste is recycling. Fashion provides us with, with an opportunity to really think about redesigning the system um, in terms of can we make clothes that are durable, we can wear yep. them longer, yep. Um, yep. and can we, from a business perspective, how do we rethink our models in this sense. So, for example, if a product is value is in in the sale, yep. so it's a yep. linear model, yep. then we need to figure out how we can drive the cost down per unit and sell as many of those units as possible. Yep. If we're making a, a, an item that's built to last, um, then the business model is changing in terms of how we fundamentally value the product, what the value proposition is for the um, consumer, yep. and ultimately how do we get that product back at the end of life is yep. something that is an, an add-on to that whole industry that yep. hasn't really entered into the the thought pattern previously. Yeah, so first of all, it's just kind of improving the actual quality of the goods so that you're not buying $5 T-shirts that, you know, are going to last a couple of wears and instead educating the consumer so that you can sell like a really high-quality T-shirt. I think I saw something about a $200 T-shirt that's going to last you, you know, your life. Well, I certainly hope so. Mm. But I guess educating the consumer that, yeah, you're going to spend $200 up front, but that's going to be that's going to be it. And really kind of valuing kind of the durability of the product in the first place to maximise that time that it's kind of being used. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's that front end part. Yeah. What about on the back end, though? Because like you said before, you know, once the clothes do eventually kind of either go out of style, go out of trend. I mean... That's the bit that I was thinking about when you were talking about this. We're talking a complete, re, like a, an absolute shift in how consumers view fashion in the first instance and the nature of clothing and then a quite different business model in terms of what you are saying earlier, the kind of value proposition that's put forward in their products when they're selling to uh, consumers. Mm. I mean, it's a completely different marketing campaign as well as the basic business model around production that we are discussing earlier. Yeah, definitely. It is about a reinvention. Um, I think that's why the circular economy is such an appealing way of thinking about how mm. we can think about the future of business. Um, but I guess maybe also to clarify in, in the way that the line of thinking goes, there are at least four different ways of thinking about how we can redesign. No, I don't mean here redesign clothing. Okay, okay. <laughs> I yeah. mean yeah. redesign the business model. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So um, usually we think, of, you know, as we were talking before about um, recycling. Yeah. So you're thinking about um, how do we get the maximum input back into the system yep. of that material flow and yep. we're thinking about programs such as um, H&M and Marks and Spencer have been offering where you can bring your clothing back into yeah, store and they're yeah. going to um, recycle. That, that consci con conscious cotton or something I think it's called? Yeah, yeah, where you can yeah take your clothes back in, get a discount and then you can buy jeans that have like 30% reused cotton in there or something. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And yep. so this is one element of the circular economy. Now, if you take the principle that the model also rests on um, using renewable energy sources, mm -hmm. if you have a fast fashion model 
where as much material as possible is being um, recycled within that flow, the materials are able to maintain themselves over a lifetime and you're modelling that all on renewable energy sources, mm. then technically that system is still optimising the output in terms of um, certain environmental indicators. Okay, so that's one, one yep. model. Yep. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got the one that we just were talking about, where you've got how do we create materials that are actually built to last, products that are built to last. So we want to maintain the product in its original state <sighs> in the flow of yep. the production and consumption yep. systems yep. for longer. And there you've got a, different, a couple of different propositions. One would be the, yes, I make a quality product. Mm-hmm. You buy one quality product and, you know, you, you try to maintain that over generations, which is, you know, <laughs> the future but also the past if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess in, the, in, in a fashion sense, I mean, there are certain kind of signature pieces that you might inherit from like your mom or your grandmother. I mean, typically they'd be more like accessories. Jewelry. Like Jewelry or a belt or like a pair of boots or something. Mm. But this idea that you have these particular items for a really long time and you hang on to them and they're, yeah, built to last. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's that particular model. Yeah. If you, if you think about it as well from a business logic, it has a different message also. Yeah. Um, you know, Patagonia were famous for saying their advertising campaign, don't buy this jacket. It is a, a reduction in consumption model. So mm. if we're thinking about yep. the production consumption systems here, yep. it's a different logic to the one we just discussed previously, which is we can keep recirculating things so long as yep. we're minimising yep. the negative externalities of that model. Yep. The other one's saying, let's just do it better and slow it down. Yeah, they definitely um, go on different paces. Yeah, because yeah. I, I guess in the back of my mind, I was thinking, how can you, it's all well and good to have a t-shirt that you'll wear for the rest of your life. But what if your taste in t-shirts change, right? And so how does, how can fashion accommodate the, you know, the, the changing trends and tastes in fashion? And so I guess that high pace model you're talking about before, that's how it's going to be able to do it? Yeah, I mean, that, and there is an optimism around this as, as a model that we can still continue with so long as we get the material science right, so long as we use renewable energy sources, and as much as possible we're recirculating those materials in this consistent flow. So in the middle, though, let's say if we're just having another one kind of model in the middle here, you picked up another idea there. Oh, I've got a T-shirt. It's still pretty good, but... I don't want it anymore. I want your T-shirt. So we've got other ways of thinking about Mm. um, redistributing within the system, within the um, consumption system here. We're talking between, um, you know, consumers, those items of clothing. So, again, you can maintain the total lifetime of the cotton T-shirt that you're discussing. People get the idea of saying, hey, I look great in this one, but I want yours tomorrow. And so we've got these systems of redistribution and exchange, which is, again, another model, uh, which is really talking into the sharing economy um, and collaborative consumption. I guess the question I have with this, though, and I'm coming in as an accountant, how do you, how does a business make money off that? Yeah, well, okay, so there's the exchange, there is subsidiary businesses in that space. So the platform mm-hmm. that you spoke about, whether it's a, a face-to-face platform, this is a business model, right? Somebody's mm-hmm. making money from the, the fashion swaps. Um, yeah, yep. so, so this is like the eBay or this is the people who host the market stalls. Like it's the platforms that enable the exchange. They're the ones that kind of facilitate that. Yeah, but the other, the other one that you're kind of hinting at here, I guess, um, is a fourth model, which is the, the product as service. So you lease clothing. Huh. Oh. You can do this? Yeah, you can lease really? clothing. Yeah, you can. Really? You, well, well, I mean, you if you think you can hire a suit. I mean, okay, it's, again, okay. it's everything old is new again. You can hire a suit. This has opened up a whole realm. I mean, I don't really like having a lot of stuff, so this is kind of appealing. <laughs> 
You're listening to Think Business Futures. To download this show, head to 2ser.com or your favorite podcast app and look for Think Business Futures. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. So on this episode, we're talking about new ways to produce and consume, and in particular, the circular economy. So what does the circular consumption model look like in the real world, you ask? Um, well, the original concept was around taking old denim jeans, so um, often sort of waste jeans from consumers after they'd come to the end of their life. And we actually make those jeans into a very fine powder. That's Rebecca Van Amber from the Institute of Frontier Materials at Deakin University. And what's really cool about the powder is that it retains the original blue denim color of the jeans. And so we can use this powder as a pigment to color new jeans. Rebecca says the research was led by an expert in the field at Deakin who originally discovered the process while making powder out of alpaca fibers. What they found was that when they made the powder out of brown fibers, they ended up with brown powder. Um, They were able to take this idea and apply it to colored fabrics. And so the initial idea is around, um, obviously, denim. And so you take the blue denim jeans and you are able to end up with a blue powder that is essentially very small powdered fiber particles. There have been many problems with the way denim is currently processed and dyed, primarily the enormous amount of water that's used in the process. And the other problem with the dyeing process is the dyeing effluent. So when denim jeans are dyed, not all of the dye molecules bond with the fibers, and so there's a lot of dye molecules in the wastewater. Because as you're dyeing, there's a lot of washing that is involved. You have to wash the jeans many times to wash out all of the excess dye. And so you have all of this wastewater, which is contaminated with dye molecules, salts, um, other chemicals, and it's just a huge volume of it. And so I think more people are aware, you know, especially in countries where these genes are being produced, the waterways are being contaminated with these dyes. So how does the circular denim process address some of these issues? Rebecca says that we first need to understand the fundamental differences between pigment and dyes. The way that you colour fabrics with dyes and pigments is very different. We're not making a dye, we are making a pigment. And the way that you color fabrics with dyes and pigments is very different. So what we are essentially making is we are making a pigment that is made out of recycled fabrics. And so we're almost, it's almost like we're recycling the color or recycling the dye from when the garment was originally made. So you're actually mixing your pigment with this thing called a binder and adhering it to the surface of the fabric. And that process is very efficient. It doesn't use any water, or it uses very little water. I mean, there's a lot of estimations about how much water is actually used in the production of, of denim jeans. You know, people are saying sort of 10,000 liters are used to produce a single pair of jeans. 10,000 liters sounds like a lot of water, right? Well, it is. It's an enormous amount. But some of that calculation comes through the production of cotton used to create the jeans And cotton is a notoriously water-intensive resource. Add to that the excessive amount of water it takes to dye the jeans, and you end up with a 10,000-litre estimation. The thing that I really like about this idea is that we're really taking what is essentially a waste product, and we're trying to make it into a value-added product. This technology can be applied to more than just jeans. One of the biggest hurdles to recycling textiles is that most of our clothing is now made of a blend of synthetic and natural materials. 
Look at the tag on the back of your shirt. Chances are it's made of cotton and polyester blend. Materials are often blended for a number of reasons. To improve performance, reduce retail cost, or to produce a desired texture. But this makes it nearly impossible for textile recyclers to sort and recycle them. So you might have the best of intentions when you turn your old t-shirt into a cleaning rag, but eventually it ends up in the landfill or as another low-value product. But if you use our technology where you actually take these garments and make them into a powder, you only need to sort them by color because we know that we can make the powder out of virtually any type of fiber and we can also do blends. So when will you be able to purchase a pair of circular denim jeans made with this technology? Rebecca says that it depends on an agreement with a potential business partner. It really depends on how long it takes us to find someone who is willing to really take that next step and and help us commercialize it. So potentially, I would think that it could be available in sort of six months to a year once we find that partner who's willing to work with us. It's a very clever, I think it's a very clever technology. I mean, this, I'm not, I don't want to say that this is going to solve textile recycling completely because it won't, but it is one way that we can, you know, start thinking about how, you know, how do we turn all these waste textiles into something with value. So what does this look like on a macro level and how would the introduction of circularity benefit the Australian economy? I'd like to bring back in Mel to keep us talking about circular economy. And what I'd like to do is actually for us to kind of pop up a level. So if it's the kind of circular economy, what does this look like in terms of how we can enable this for, you know, the Australian economy? Mm. What sort of benefits uh, could there be? Uh, Benefits to the Australian economy would be reflected at the moment in a contemporary example, um, being able to manage our own waste streams and value those as a resource adds great value to Mm -hmm. the Australian economy. And we've seen this really as a pertinent example recently with China changing their policy on whether or not they're going to accept waste streams. They're no longer accepting our waste. Um, And Australia's got a, a, a gap in our economy here um, in terms of our own industry's ability to be able to turn, transform those waste materials back into valuable inputs into our our own economy. So it's an enormous opportunity. There's also an enormous opportunity in the Australian economy in terms of that, like the reverse logistics model and building up um, capacity in reverse logistics. By this I mean, you know, waste streams usually being linear, going into landfill. How do we get those waste streams back into mm. the economy in a viable way that they become inputs. So that actually, like the organisations that enable that logistics, I mean, that's that's new organisations, that's new business, that's yeah. jobs. Yeah, yep. that's logistics as well. It's not just in the, the industry of the, the waste itself. Yep. It's yep. pretty serious microeconomic reform, isn't it, when mm. you start to think through the implications of, of what is going to be required in a broader economy to be able to deliver this. I guess the thing that when I think about this and I think about some of the broader social and business trends, while you can see the opportunities, it requires a complete rethink in terms of consumption and the current supply marketing oriented nature of consumption. Mm. So if you go back to your earlier example of fashion, we're really rethinking what fashion even is because most people would equate fashion with consumption. You know, people think fashion is going down to the, I don't know, Westfield or something or a clothing shop and buying new clothes and parading them around where it's perhaps something deeper than that. But that requires marketing to completely rethink the nature of marketing. So when I, I often think about this, if you look at current advertising and marketing, it's, well, buy this stuff and you'll feel better about yourself and the world will be better. <laughs> We're talking a completely different business model or operating model in terms of marketing. Is this right, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, the European Union developed a, 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 a policy for the European Union and basically they said the opportunities were across the entire supply chain and in terms of the consumption system. So, yeah, it's a complete rethink. However, on the bright side, we're not without models. And this is what I find so fascinating about it. The types of thinking that's informing the circular economy uh, in terms of even a development of um, business models, um, those closed-loop systems, mm, are being borrowed from um, ideas, that theories that were developed in you know the 70s and 80s. Um, so we're not without guiding frameworks. It's really about shifting people's ways of thinking. Do you think is, – is this a regulation – well, okay. So, yeah, I was going to say there are a number of ways that coming at this. So one is the policy gap. We're missing the policy here in Australia. Uh, the European Union, as I said, have got uh, a policy on this. China uh, has had a, a, a circular economy element to their five-year plan for the last one and for the five years, uh, the current five years going forward. Um, so we don't have a comprehensive policy framework here in Australia. We do have a, a, a landscape of different policies that relate to various different aspects of mm-hmm. you know, circular economy thinking, but in terms of a comprehensive framework, we do not have one. We don't have the awareness in, uh, in, in consumers, as, as you've said, about um, you know, make, making different conscious purchasing decisions. Mm. Um, I always hear this, and again, I don't, I have, this is not my research area, I'm not in marketing, but even my European students who come and sit in a business classroom find it fascinating that others in the room don't have such a conscious way of thinking about their own consumption. Um, so, you know, we could attack it from the, from the business logic, and that's the way that we've been looking at it, yep. just trying to understand how do um, individual businesses create those value drivers um, and then position themselves within a market. Which is David's point here in terms of how do you sell this kind of more circular consumption in a marketplace where the traditional model isn't that? Like it's, you know, buy new, buy, buy, buy. Well, like- it's also a broader issue of how we, in a sense, make sense of and value a broader economy. So one of the things I was thinking about is when we've got this sort of structural change and without you know wanting to seem too old, when I think back to the macroeconomic and microeconomic reform that was done in Australia a number of decades ago and we had the recession that we had to have, if we're talking about a complete change in business models, consumption patterns, we are probably going to be in a position where we have two quarters of negative growth. And that is economic Wait, and political debt. Talk, talk me through that. Like, why would there be negative growth if we kind of switch to a circular economy? Because the current model is built, the sort of sales and a consumption pattern that drives the upside of the GDP, that actually needs to alter. So by its very nature, we're talking about a reduction on one level of economic activity as it's reflected in new goods. So if you're repurposing goods, then you, I think you're tightening up the system for want of a better term. And for me, this seems to be, seems to be contraction, I hate to say it. And there is no government that's going to implement a policy where they're going to end up in recession. I mean, that is political suicide. Mel, can you chime in here? Will this sort of like econ- like economic system have less consumption like and reduce our GDP? Well, if we go back to the discussion we we're having before about the different ways of approaching it at a business model level, I would say there's still an open question mark. If we take the techno-optimist view, whereby we can continue to consume, mm-hmm. so long as we're doing that with reducing our impact in terms of the environmental externalities. Uh, so this is the fast fashion. It's just like the 
the materials keep going around and around and around, like the, that pair of jeans keeps, keeps getting sold again and again and again. And as long as it's done with sustainable energy and, you know, you're not actually having leakage from that system, you've got plenty of transactions going through. In that, like, there's lots of economic activity happening. Dave's not convinced. There's economic activity happening. There's also new economic activity happening because, let's say, at the moment that's just going into landfill, you've got a whole new um, economy that's emerging or a whole new form of business activity that's emerging in those reverse logistics streams. So it could add value to the current I can certainly see how it adds value, but I guess for me the marginal value that that repurposing and those those tighter changes create for me is probably my intuition is that that's a lot less than the current introduction mass introduction into the current system mm. and then the current production process and then the constant consumption that sits in the end uh, at the end user point and it I, it really requires a complete rethink of how the economy works i would have yeah. thought or you know back to what mel was saying before a change in the accounting like a change in how we actually value you know waste and the externalities and once we start factoring that into gdp then perhaps you know we actually get a clearer picture about what's going on yeah there's some pretty interesting work at the moment around trying to develop uh, better models of measuring economic and social activity in uh, the community. So there's a couple of groups and, and researchers that are working on this, but this is not in the political mainstream or the policy mainstream mm. at all mm. at the moment. Mm. And the the problem also is then tracking the economy over time mm. when you start, because a lot of this is comparative performance. And so if you're going to really change the system and start again with a broader set of measures, that's... A, pretty big leap that a government is going to have to make. Mm. Perhaps. That brings us to the close of Think Business Futures for today. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to the 2SER website, 2SER.com. You can also search for us on your favourite podcast app. This podcast is made by the UTS Business School with the support of 2SER 107.3. Big thanks to Melissa Edwards for coming onto the show to discuss. We'll pop some links up on the website so you can read more about her research. Until next time. Until next time.